Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is a former Major League Baseball player, and after retiring, he founded his company Major League Mindset, which he is now the mental strength coach for the Los Angeles Angels, as well as the University of Virginia and University of Houston baseball programs. You may have seen him on the MLB Network as well. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Brandon Geyer. I am great, Tyler. How are you? I'm well. You're just chatting about uh, your journeys through uh, some times in the major leagues. You enjoyed Colorado. Always nice to hear. Um, you know, being a, a former professional and baseball player, one of the things I was curious of, of what led you into post-career, the work that you're doing now? Yeah, so it uh, to talk about what I'm doing now, I got to go back about 20 years to 2003. So I was a junior at Herndon High School in Northern Virginia. And um, for lack of a better word, I sucked my first three years at Herndon High School in baseball. I think as a junior, I hit 270 and um, no colleges were talking to me. Like I had the, I thought I had pretty good talent and all these other players are getting scholarships and all these awards and, and I was just struggling. So a coach heading into senior year recommended a book called Heads Up Baseball, mm-hmm. um, which I, I have both of them right here. Um, yeah. Because they 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 changed my life. Um, I read that going into senior year, and it was like I was I didn't just read it though. I didn't want to be a librarian of this knowledge. I wanted to go apply everything. So I yeah. did, and it's given that key that unlocked that other thirty to forty percent inside of me. Um, and went off, and then went to University of Virginia after having a good senior year, and then seven years later in two thousand eleven when I was with the Tampa Bay Rays, Ken Revisa was the team sports psychologist. So I got to work with him in person after reading his wow. book, Heads Up Baseball. I said, Ken, changed the trajectory of my life. And I'm sure so many others, thank yeah. you. And then got to learn from the GOAT in, in person. Um, it was just such a blessing, so grateful. Um, but that's really what got me into what I'm doing. After that time, junior year, I became just obsessed with the mental side of the game. And throughout my career, work with different uh, experts when it came to the mental side of the game. And then I knew at the end of my career, man, I went through this gauntlet. I, I, I dealt with all anything you can think of on the mental side, fear and performance, anxiety, self-doubt, all that stuff that we all deal with at the highest level. I dealt with it and I don't want, I, I wanted to take advantage and, and give back and, you know, combine my playing experience at the big league level with everything I learned from guys like Ken Revisa and whatnot. Um, and so it blessed me with the platform and the wisdom and the experience to create major league mindset. And that's really how we got to where we are. Yeah. Love it. Um, also love the Ken Revisa story. Didn't realize uh, that crossover there that you got to spend some time with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the people I've spoke to that got, got to be around his presence, they always have a laundry list of takeaways and memories. Um, but are there a couple that stick out, especially as you talked about kind of, you know, taking it from textbook and application? I think that's where Ken was really uh, special in the field of, of getting it mm-hmm. out of a classroom and onto the field. Are there are there things that stick out or things you still teach that are very Ken? For sure. Uh, I'm glad you asked that question because there are 
I'd say two or three that really, there's a lot, but that really stick out to me. The first is using the breath. Um, it became so important for me and powerful that I'm wearing this wristband. I'm always wearing wristbands, but when I played, um, I had this wristband, it says, uh, breathe stitched into it, um, as that constant reminder to me to utilize my breath. And that's something Ken would always say, breathe, baby, breathe. Um, so he would talk about his breath. Um, how, you know, to slow the game and your mind down, get back to the present moment, um, gain control. The other thing he would say a lot is you have to control yourself to control your performance. And I have a basically major league mindset. There's eight milestones, but I boil it down to five principles. And principle one is know yourself like self-awareness. And then number two is control yourself. And that is really a lot of what Ken talks about. You got to control yourself and the controllable so you can control your performance. Um, and then after that, he talks about process a lot. Are you working your process? Do you have a process? Do you trust it? And are you making adjustments if and when you need to? Um, so I would say the breath, control yourself and process is something that from him, um, help so much. And, you know, I, I'm sure anyone listening to this, if they can just apply those three things, they'll notice a huge difference. For sure. Uh, I want to dig into when you read the books, um, as a teenager, dealing with a lot of student athletes, sometimes they're not huge into diving into books, especially sometimes personal development books as teenagers. Um, <laughs> what would you tell other athletes or baseball players about just reading in general. And then, you know, if they're searching to improve their, their game, their sport mm -hmm. books, like heads up baseball, what would you say to, to kids about that? Yeah. What you've learned. And then I think even the next step you already talked about the application of what mm -hmm. you learned. Yeah. So I, it, it's really to, to make it simple. I think it's a three-step process. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people out there have heard of this process. I call it, learn it, practice it, master it nothing you you don't know what you don't know so you have to learn this stuff whether you're reading whether you're listening to podcasts like this whether you're working with someone in person that trains this and can coach you on it in an intentional and structured way you have to learn it first and then second nothing happens without step two you have to practice it get as many reps as you can so it gets to the point where it's just you're on autopilot. You just do what you do without thinking about it. And then step three, you've mastered it. You've made it your own, which is something Ken talked about a lot is, you know, there's no the way. Find your way based on everything you learn. Make it your own through trial and error. Um, but the step one, you have to learn it somehow. So if you're not a big reader, um, you know, a there's a... Uh, app and company called Heroic that basically they call them philosopher's notes. And basically it's six page PDFs on the biggest ideas of all the best books out there, mental performance, Navy SEALs books, anything you can think of. Um, so it's, I think it's a 20 minute PDF or the reading or MP3 you can listen to where a guy named Brian Johnson who found the company goes over the biggest ideas. So if you're not into reading, you can listen to that MP3 and I promise you, it feels like you've read the book. Um, so that is a great option, something like that, if you're not really wanting to read it, but then you have to do step two, like you mentioned, and we're talking about like, you have to apply it, you have to practice it to get to that eventual mastery stage. Um, and that's where everything changes. Love it. It's a lot of ways to, to get there. Like you said, in a lot of ways to, to learn, uh, mm -hmm. the time to learn. I think baseball is a sport where there's a lot of time, um, uh, you're traveling in between games <clears throat> in the clubhouse. Uh, yeah. How can young athletes uh, and young co young coaches maybe make 
the most out of that maybe the the extra time they have around the diamond or in the clubhouse or in their locker room um, mm-hmm. to become a better team? Is it recovery, team building? What are some of the the simple things that you would tell other young players and coaches to take advantage of with that time? Yeah, I'm going to go a different route than you might expect. Um, I, I firmly, firmly believe that our physiology has a lot more to do with our psychology than many people talk about and think. So we got to get our energy and you saying the word recovery really made me think about that. We got to get our recovery to and our energy to world-class levels. So I call it dominate the fundamentals, the major league mindset fundamentals. And they are how you eat, how you sleep, how you train, how you breathe and your overall self-discipline. So dominating those fundamentals right there are going to help you build this strong foundation and get you more energized and recovered than ever. So when you're in the clubhouse, not scrolling on your phone, not on a device all the time. You're zapping your focus muscles when you do that. And it's going to be very hard to focus during a game and and really put your attention where you want it, when you want it, for how long you want it. It's going to be very hard if you're zapping your focus muscles. So in the clubhouse, less screen time. Um, highly recommend before a game, go doing a little breath work, uh, meditation and visualization um, to really recharge your mind, visualize success, and, and really put you in a good position to succeed. Um, and and then when it comes to the mental game, I think it's, you know, do a little a lot, not a lot a little. It's probably saying a lot of people have heard. You don't need to spend hours a day on this stuff. Um, you know, 1% of the day, I, I believe, is like 14 minutes and 24 seconds. So you hear all the time, get 1% better. So just when it comes to hitting up the mind gym or the mental gym, which I feel like is, is meditation and visualization, 14 minutes, 24 seconds, or, um, doing a, something I have players do is a post-game reflection where you basically, okay, what did I do? Well, what could I do better? What adjustments will I make next time? And then you kind of grade yourself on, on all of the controllables, um, to really build self-awareness. So this is Tyler, a long way of me saying that, Let's get our energy and recovery dialed in. Let's take advantage of that time. Um, let's really, really, the number one way to do that is to prioritize your sleep. So, you, you know, a great day today started the night before. So really dial that in. Um, yeah. yeah, so I would say that. <laughs> yeah, I love the, uh, you brought up the reflection. I think a lot of times student athletes I've had the opportunity to work with when you ask them, you know, who's their toughest critic, they all raise their hand and then you put a, an assessment or reflection in front of them and they get a little more hesitant, um, <laughs> which I think, you know, Hey, if you're going to be your toughest critic, you know, help yourself out and be one of your toughest coaches too. Um, why yeah. is it so important? I think to do the reflection and then maybe if you mm-hmm. are a younger athlete, that's not great at self-awareness, going through that process to help us become more self-aware as a person and as an athlete? Yeah. Two, two great questions and very important questions right there. So the start with the reflection. So think of that as you're, you're cultivating a win or learn mindset. And, and when players of all ages can have that kind of a mindset where it's win or learn, it turns into win or win. Cause if you win, boom, great. You worked hard. You had success. Boom. Be proud of yourself. That's like me. That's like me, like say you build up that self-image, but if, if things don't go your way, which they're not obviously in, in, in athletics and in life, uh, they're unpredictable and they're messy. Things are not going to go your way often. Um, it's not supposed to be easy. So when it doesn't go your way, well, then you simply learn from it 
and turn it into fuel for your growth so it can help you the next competition, then that's how it's truly win or win. So the post-game reflection, think of it like you're, you're just leaving success notes for your future self. Okay, even if you're 0 for 4 or 4 strikeouts. First question, what did I do well? Well, if you can't write anything, there's another, there's an even bigger issue going on. If you weren't a good teammate, if you didn't, you know, have good effort, yeah. if you didn't prepare with all you had, you know, there's things we can always say we did well. Okay, then next, what could I have done better? Um, oh, you know, bases loaded, big at bat, my second at bat. I, I let the moment get to me. I didn't slow it down. I didn't do my pre-pitch routine using my breath. So I was all tense and tight and I tried to hit a grand slam, whereas I could have done that better. Okay. So then what adjustment will I make next time? If I'm in the same situation again, I'm going to do my pre-pitch routine and I'm going to just keep it simple. See ball, hit ball, try to hit a line drive right back at the, at the middle, not try to do too much. So that right there is how we learn from what didn't go our way. And at the very end, we score the controllables. So for on here, I have controllables. Your overall perspective, which I think is the most important. It could be, you could argue the foundation of all things, mental performance, um, preparation, body language, focus, self-talk, attitude, process slash routines, your breath and your overall emotions. Mm -hmm. So really going through that, it's gonna, what you said, build awareness. And so then throughout the game, um, the more you do this, you'll think about your perspective. You'll think about your body language, knowing you can create confidence with it. You'll think about your present moment focus, your self-talk, your routines. And then when you do that, well, when you can control the controllables at a high level, it's the number one skill, I believe, for all athletes. And really, you could argue all human beings getting great at controlling what's because it's simple in theory, but it's hard in practice. But if you can build awareness around that and be intentional and all purpose with them, then you will eventually get to the point where you're great with them. And then pressure melts away and you play free and loose more and more consistently, which all athletes would say that's when they feel confident and that's when they have way more success. Mm -hmm. um, so that right there, Tyler, is how I would answer the importance of the reflection part of it. And it's not like it has to take 10 minutes. Maybe, right. maybe yeah. you don't yeah. even write it down. Maybe yeah. you just in your head go over it. Or if you're a youth athlete, I work with a lot of little leaguers too. Um, maybe on the car ride home with your parents, you just go over this with them. Okay. So like, I do this with my young kids. Like, oh, what do you feel like you did? Well, what could you have done better? What adjustments will you make? Okay. Let's score one to 10, how you were with the controllables. Um, so that's another way how you can reflect. You don't just, you don't have to write it down. Um, and I forget what the second question was, or maybe I answered it. No, it's just tying in the self building the self-awareness and the power of reflection. Mm -hmm. Um, I think. So just saying kids are often, sometimes they're, they're tough critics, but, you know, use that, that critique, you know, and mm -hmm. like you said, into reflection and scoring it. I love the questions that you framed. Um, there's a great article about uh, Bryce Young, that his dad, how he shifted the types of questions he asked Bryce at one point as a young athlete. And I think they're much more like you were saying, what did you see? What did you observe? A lot more under the things that we, we can control into mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. versus straying into so much of the things we can't and mm -hmm. you mentioned perspective and baseball is such a, a sport wrapped in statistical failure uh, and you know how do you keep players you know routines always so important to help us gain some of that control into our corner into our advantage what are ways that you help athletes rather create routines or create mm -hmm. that perspective that's going to help them to high perform 
Yeah. So at first, I love what you said about Bryce Young's dad. Um, it makes me think of, you know, I heard this from a mentor a long time ago is because um, as baseball players, as athletes who who work hard and want to be great, we we can tend to be perfectionists and we can tend to bash ourselves when things don't go our way. Sure. We have these high standards and then we bash ourselves when we fall short and you know, inevitably. Um, and I was taught, Brandon, you bring a flashlight and a hammer to the party. So bring a flashlight. Basically, the flashlight is the reflection. Shine, shine a flashlight on what's going well and what needs some work. Okay. And then what you're going to do about it. And then you don't bring and then bring a hammer, but but don't bring a hammer and bash yourself and shame yourself. Bring a hammer to make adjustments and to change behaviors and habits and routines. So um, bringing a flashlight and then a hammer, but not bashing yourself um, is very, very um, important for athletes of all ages. Um, And then lastly, the routines. So um, right here, I actually have like a pregame mental checklist that I have players. and, And the key part of this, I put down like 12 different options. The key is on the back of it, they make it their own. I'm throwing out suggestions, what worked for me and a lot of other players, but the key is for them to go into competition confident, energized, and prepared. They have to have it their way because we're all wired so differently. Um, So having these set routines, and basically it comes down to this. I think it's two questions that could summarize the entire program, my whole philosophy. Who are you at your absolute best? And what is it you do that helps you show up at your best? Once these players develop this self-awareness and they have this identity of who they are at their best, literally like who they are, like name it. And I have a best self animal. Like they have an animal that they connect with that represents who kind of like Kobe Bryant and the black Mamba. Who are you at your best? But then most importantly, what are the qualities you embody and what are the behaviors and routines you engage in? that help you show up at your best. And then it's simple. Let's do that stuff more and do less of the bad stuff, less of the other stuff. Um, so that's really how we started, get to know themselves very well, build that identity, develop these set processes and routines um, that then help them consistently show up at their best, knowing it doesn't equal success. It doesn't equal results, but it equals them putting in themselves in the best position to succeed. Right. I think that's a myth once in a while that, you know, doing mental skills is going to guarantee success, right? It's like, no, mm-hmm. it's going to enhance our probabilities and likelihoods mm-hmm. of, of our opportunities. You got a nickname uh, as a player called El Pinata, the, P- the Pinata. La Pinata, yeah. La Pinata, right? Uh, <laughs> for for taking a, a, the proverbial one for the team. Um, mm-hmm. it, was that a, a skill that you kind of worked on or statistical happens chance or combination of both um what was it yeah i would say um a combination of both um with all this stuff we can we can wire ourselves we can train our mind just like our body so i i always got hit a lot in my career um but i i kind of wired myself in the way where i just you know didn't move um and also i looked at it like I looked at it in a positive light. I'm getting on base, helping the on base percentage, helping the team, let the guys behind me drive me in. And if I learn how to get out of the way properly, the odds of me being seriously injured are slim. I think I got hit over a hundred times in my big league career 
I miss zero games. And I know that's a little luck, but if you can get out of the way correctly, um, that's going to help out. But looking at it in a positive light and really it's never anything I went up to the plate looking to do. And I think a lot of young athletes and even older have this big fear of getting hit by a pitch. And it leads to a lot of players quitting baseball because they never get over it. A big part of that is going up to the plate and it, it hurts their performance because they're literally thinking about and scared of getting hit. So they're not even, the game's already hard enough. They're not thinking about hitting the ball and doing damage to the ball. They're thinking about the ball doing damage to them. So developing a really good pre-pitch routine with using their breath and taking control of their mind with their self-talk um, yeah. and, and visualization helps so much. Um, but no, so I, it wasn't anything I trained. I, I, I tried to do. I did train myself not to get out of the way. Um, and then, you know, a lot of lefty pitchers pitch me inside a lot. Um, so yeah. that's why how it happened. Is there any uh, pitcher that you, in your dreams, can still kind of feel one? um you know one of the worst ones man was uh charlie morton when he was with the pirates i was with the rays and he threw he has his nasty two-seamer and it was coming in but i didn't it started like middle and i thought it was just going to be a strike so i'm I'm like this hit by pitch i actually like went into it it hit me in my bicep and i like went into it instead of turning away so man that one hurt so bad um so that one of all probably stands out um and you mentioned earlier about, you know, your batting average in in high school before you read the books, you know, and you're working with youth athletes as well. What are some of the things that stick out when you observe youth baseball that, are, you know, often steer kids wrong or maybe steer them in the wrong direction too early? Uh, mm-hmm. Baseball is so hard. It takes a long time. And I always think, you know, the longer you play, the more you're opportunities will come but often we put a lot of pressure on 10 12 13 14 year olds playing a lot of games um and a lot of pressure which we don't usually combat that with the mental skills and some of the things you've just Mm -hmm. talked about for the last 20 minutes 25 minutes Um, Mm -hmm. but what are some of the kind of misleading things you see out there if i gave you a magic wand you would want to correct (laughs) about yeah youth and high school baseball yeah. Um, another great question. I think this is very, very important. So you saying that kind of makes me think of, um, I, I like to tell a story of it's called two, two players. Um, and it's a true story and something I saw at every single level. Um, so this isn't just youth, this is all levels. So player, player one out of this world, physical skills, but very weak mindset. And this player um fear more than anything held him back fear of failure the fear of making a mistake the fear of not being perfect um held him back more than anything and because that he avoided adversity and avoided stepping out of his comfort zone um and avoided failure as much as possible he focused way more on what was out of his control rather than in his control when things didn't go his way he acted like a victim and you know would complain make excuses, blame others and feel bad for himself. He didn't have set routines that stacked the odds in his favor, pregame, in-game, post-game routines. And, and lastly, didn't have the work ethic needed to be great or the discipline to do what needed to be done, whether he or she felt like it or not. So that's player one, out of this world, physical skills, weak mindset. Player two, 
pretty good physical skills. Pretty good. Not anywhere near player one. But he got the word on the sixth and most important tool, his mindset, and what I like to call a major league mindset. So those fears, he put the work in. He became anti-fragile, where he's literally everything that happens to him becomes fuel for his growth. And the more he gets kicked around, the stronger he gets. And the worse things are going for him, the more committed he is to his routines. And so fear went from an obstacle to now an asset. He approached adversity, looking at like a true advantage and stepped out of his comfort zone as much as possible. He focused way more, not perfectly, but way more on what's in his control rather than what's out of his control. When things didn't go his way, he acted like a warrior and powerfully responded by saying, okay, good. What do I need to do to get what I want? And then went and did that thing. He had set routines that stacked the odds in his favor and gave him a competitive edge. And lastly, had the work ethic and discipline to do what he needed to do. Once again, whether he felt like it or not, he or she felt like it or not. Um, So then I always ask players, which player when I'm talking in person or whether on a zoom, which player player one or player two, do you think had more fun, more confidence, more success and a more rewarding career on and off the field? And of course they all say player two without a doubt. And it's the truth. You can have out of this world physical skills, but if you have a weak mindset, eventually it's going to catch up to you when that talent gap shrinks. Then that player with less physical skills develops and trains their mindset in an intentional and structured way they will pass those players by. I've seen it time and time and time again. Um, So those are the things that I feel like hold back players the most or push them forward into their, you know, true potential. Yeah. You're making me think of a story. Uh, Marco Gonzalez. I think he pitches for the Mariners. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is when he was in college, his mother, she was helping run a youth league out here. And she told a great story about the scouts that came to watch the kid he was pitching against, they weren't even, oh, there to, wow. they, they weren't even there to see him. And wow. while that other kid pitched very well, he had a little bit of meltdown on his teammate. He threw his glove. He gave up some hits. Marco kind of rebounded from some poor fielding and some airs to throw a couple shutout innings. The scouts that's ended up how he got a scholarship. Um, wow, but it, but it awesome. was, you know, that same, you know, they weren't even there to see him, but they saw someone with more talent and kind of mentally not hold it together in a high school game <laughs> and wow. versus, you know, at the time, maybe player number two was Marco. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I just saw you look great... at the career he's having, too. And yeah, and players out there, you just never know when a scout, when a coach, when anyone could be there and just see those little things, those intangibles. Yeah. That's what they want, because they know that's going to play over the long yeah. run, you know. I think one of your thoughts too, I think baseball, whether you play college, you go into the minors, you move teams, coaches shift around, you get a lot of different coaches, position coaches and things like that throughout baseball. How important um, is it to, to continue to be able to be coachable as we say, Mm -hmm. um, as you get so many different coaches sometimes, and sometimes you, maybe you've got your habits, routines and things that, Mm -hmm maybe we're resistant to to some coaching but yeah how, how did you navigate that as a player yeah well i think a huge quality i talked about it earlier like okay what are the qualities you embody and what are what are your behaviors and routines and processes you have that help you show up at your best so a quality that you know i wasn't perfect but i tried to embody was humility and when i think of humility i think of someone who high character and someone who doesn't think they have it all figured out 
So to help with, you know, become more coachable and become, and just be coachable. It's, you know, I told, kept telling them, I don't have this all figured out. Maybe what this coach says, you know, could just say something that could really, even if I'm performing at a high level, take it to a whole nother level. Um, so I think that the humility is everything for players and really, um, a, a, an amazing book called legacy. Um, but I'm trying to think James Kerr wrote it. He, it was detailing the all blacks and, and they basically there. And I think you've probably heard of it, their mantra or their saying for their team. They're the all time winningest team in sports history. A, a rugby team out of New Zealand is better. People make better all blacks. So when I think better people make better athletes, no matter what sport you're playing. So having this humility, being internally just a good person and, and always looking for ways to improve, then you're coachable, then you're going to get the most out of your talent. That doesn't mean you have to listen to everybody. Now, you have to have bright lines where, hey, this guy, uh, I'll listen to him, but uh, maybe that's just not for me. Um, but it's a long way of me saying, I think just having that humility um, is crucial. If I uh could put you in a, a time machine and visit that teenage self before you read heads up baseball um, with what you've learned in your experience and, and what you teach now. Uh, what one piece of advice would you want to give uh, teenage Brandon? Great question. When I get asked that there, there's, there's a lot I want to say. Um, the, the two things I'm going to say two things because um, I think they're equally important. First is I have an identity. When I was in high school, especially when I was struggling, I was searching. I didn't know who I was. And I thought, oh, I'm just this baseball player. I'm the athlete. So then literally everything, you know, when I had a bad game, it would carry off the field. I wasn't fun to be around. I had no idea. I'd had no sense of self. I didn't know who I was. Um, so one of the biggest exercises I do now is called Major League Identity is help them develop this identity on the field and identity off the field. Like we name who they are at their best on the field and off the field. Um, gosh, those first three years in high school, I would have done anything for that. Um, cause I had absolutely no identity. And because of that, I wasn't happy. I wasn't having fun. I wasn't confident. I wasn't playing free and loose. Um, so that's number one, number two, man, just be, I, I would tell myself solely focus on what's in your control. I would always be so worried about things out of my control, such as the thoughts of others, the opinions of others, the decisions of others. I would let things like the umpires get to me, um, field conditions, weather. Like literally I was just so focused on what was out of my control. So no wonder I was so stressed. So have performance anxiety and, and all that icky stuff because I was so focused on what was out of my control. So I would say just control the controllables um, and develop this identity and know who you are at your best and, and what it is you do that helps you show up at your best. Those, that's what I would say. The teenage uh, me would also need to hear those things. It's like you're speaking my language. The, <laughs> I think it's the majority of players, right? I think um, different sport, yeah. different career, but uh, a teenage, yeah. teenage me need to hear some of those same things. Um, greatly appreciate you joining us, making some time, sharing about your career and the work you do. Um, one more thing, I guess, as we wrap up, uh, Sports, baseball has so much travel, you know, and we talked early on about, you know, the rest, recovery, nutrition, you know, doing some of these core things uh, to make sure we can be at our best. Uh, travel disrupts a little bit uh, some of those routines and 
access to our food we like and their habits. Um, what are some key things you you tell athletes so that they can either adjust if they need to or just stay on track when they're on the road with, with mm -hmm. some of their habits that are going to create performance? Yeah, I think you 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 mentioning adjust if you need to that that's huge. We got to adjust. We have to um, be willing to compensate because we. We can't be so locked into our routines and everything that, oh man, if I don't do it, then I'm not going to feel good. I'm not going to be confident. Like, we have to know that things aren't always going to go perfectly. Our schedule, we basically what it comes down to is, I actually have a sign here on my wall. It always remind me, it's love what is, meaning accept reality. Like we're, if you are playing a lot and you're traveling, your schedule's crazy, you have to accept it and then just really take some time and think about, you know, pre uh, prepare for the future, plan. If it's nutrition, um, packing some good healthy food and, and some good liquid for hydration. If it's, you know, you might not have time to do set meditation before a game. Okay. Uh, maybe have headphones and a little audio track you can listen to on the, on the team bus. Um, I think those those kind of little things where you look and you plan for the future and you just know that things don't have to be perfect. Um, try to, and I guess I'll, I'll end with this because this is another huge thing. I This would be number three that I would tell my younger self. And I learned this from the great positive psychologist, Tal Ben-Shahar. He talks about there's a healthy and an unhealthy perfectionist. The unhealthy perfectionist is a perfectionist. It has very high standards and never thinks they should fall short. So when they do, they bash themselves and all that stuff that we don't like to do. The healthy perfectionist, he calls an optimalist, has the same very high standards and expectations as a perfectionist, but the optimalist knows deep down, they're not gonna hit them all the time. They know they don't have to be perfect because, well, they just take everything as data and they learn from it and they use it as good info and fuel for, for future self growth. Um, so I would, it kind of ties back into your question. Whereas things don't have to be perfect. Your routines don't have to be perfect. Yes. Have them in place, but what you said, be willing to adjust and compensate, um, if, and when you need to.